Good morning. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> uh, Gladys Dunaway that used to go here and Tom that helped us build the building, she put something on Facebook the other day, said, uh, how many can remember the 90s, 1990? They said it's exactly the same amount of time between now and 1990 and now and two. 2050. That's kind of scary. And I can really remember how close 1990 was. And 2050 seems like a long ways away. But actually, there's the same distance. It kind of blows your mind. And uh, so I hope all of you had a great Christmas. Did you have a great Christmas and a great New Year's? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And uh, last week I wasn't here, but Teresa was, and she does an awesome job. Uh, finishing up our year and challenging us for the new year, and uh, it's great. Today we're starting a new series called The Rescue, and the songs today could not have been picked any better to set up for this sermon in this series. And what The Rescue is, it's, uh, it's the story of us, it's the story of God and us, and how God rescued us. Some of you, every year, if you read through the Bible in a year, a lot of times you start in Genesis and you go and read all the way through the Bible in one year. It's a great thing to do. Well, we're going to start in Genesis. I can't tell you how long we're going to be in Genesis, but we're, we're going to take the book of Genesis in basically in a couple of sections. The first section we'll take it in is Genesis 1, chapter 1 through 11. And so we'll start with that first part and then we'll go on uh, maybe directly after that, but I think that you're going to find uh, something very powerful. And uh, when I when I started thinking about that, and our team begins to talk about it, the the book of Genesis is amazing. And it, I don't know if it it just kind of dawned on me that as we were going through, you know, as many times we preach in the New Testament. That in the New Testament, they didn't have the whole Bible that we had. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which was known as the Pentateuch or to the Hebrews, the Torah. And so they only had those five books. And, and for some, they uh, had uh, Psalms and Ecclesiastes and, you know, maybe a few others. But that's roughly it. So now when you go back and you think of Jesus going around and teaching and preaching, everything that he said and most of the stuff that was said in the New Testament came from the first five books of the Bible. If you ever thought about it, most of the quotes, if you ever looked in a Bible and you've got the little uh, index there, it shows you where it came from, you will see that over and over and over, even Jesus was quoting a lot of the first five books of the Bible. So if it was important at that time and it was important then, it should be important now that the first five books of the Bible is incredibly important. So I was thinking, well, if, if it's so important, then why don't we spend more time on it? Why is that not a priority? And I think it should be. So today I want to talk about the rescue and that God is bigger. God's here to uh, rescue us. And uh, so when you think about this, this is a story that we were let in on. 
I've got one verse of scripture today. And since it's one verse, it's easy to memorize. (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all I'm going to preach about today. But when we preach this series, we're we're not going to so much be in trying to pick every little word. And uh, there's a lot of things debatable in this book. I want you to, what we're going to try to do is pick the heart of it. And I hope you get that, that we're picking the heart. We're trying to pick the things in the first five of the books that is most quoted. You know, the, the most quoted things throughout the Bible. So first we want to look at that God is bigger than us. God is bigger than us. Uh, and, and that he sent his son to die in our place to bring us back into relationship with him. That's what God did. And so we're being led in on a story of God's rescue. Now it said in the beginning, we know that it wasn't the beginning of the beginning. And then that kind of confuses everything because if, if one is God, God has no beginning. He has no end. And so God always was. He always is and he always will be. That's God. And so all this beginning could be, it could be the beginning of the earth, it could be the beginning of his story for us, or it's the beginning of where he wants to let us in on the story. A lot of people, uh, when they're talking about Adam and Eve, you know, God created Adam and Eve and put them in a beautiful garden, which is biblical. Well, then they messed up and God goes, now what am I going to do? No. When we read the story of the rescue of our redemption, we'll find out that before there was anything, before there was an earth, before there was anything, God already knew the free, the, how frail man was. He already knew that man would fail. How do we know that? Because we find that before the foundation of the earth, Jesus had already been Uh, said that he would be the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So in the mind of God, even the beginning, the garden, what happened in the garden, what happened thereafter, was already in the mind of God. You will never hear God go, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen. God has no oops. God is never in the dark. He's never in the dark about anything that happens. So we get to this place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when we understand that before anything was created, God already had a plan of redemption, of rescue. And that God tells us this. God is bigger than our thoughts. He's bigger than our ways. He's bigger. And, you know, when you get into Genesis 1 and 1, I'm going to tell you at first, the, the, we want to look at this Genesis 1 and 1 and try to answer your question about if God really did create the heavens and earth. That's not what I'm going to preach about. You know, the question, if God really did create the heavens and the earth, did he really do it? There's some things about uh, the story you've got to take by faith. Uh, so... Knowing that 
this story, this rescue, our salvation, our redemption is largely built on faith, I'm not going, I'm not going to try to prove to you when God created the heavens and the earth. That's not the important issue to me. I'm not going to try to prove to you when God created the heavens and the earth. We're not going to look at fossil records and starlight and time dating. We're not going to spend our morning crunching geological numbers. I want to go directly to the main thing. The heart of Genesis 1 and 1 is not exactly when God created the heavens and the earth, but the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. Can you prove that? I may not be able to prove it to your satisfaction. And I don't think you'll ever be able to prove evolution to my satisfaction. The main thing we really need to know about when is that he did it. He did it. And so if you start off the reference point of God's word, it takes faith from the beginning. And in which... When you think about it, the main thing we know is that he did it, and he did it when? In the beginning. Which beginning? The beginning, I don't know, he has no beginning. So it's when he begins to let us in on the story. So we're just going to end the debate there. God said, in the beginning, which means before there was anything else, there was God, and everything else exists, does not because he says so. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think this truth is the most important thing that we need to know in life. I think this simple verse is one of the most important verses that we should ever know in life. And you say, why? The most important thing you need to know is that life, in, in this life, is that God created the heavens and the earth. And I mean that. I believe that's true. And here's why. God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth that you see. Go outside, you can see the earth, you can see the heavens. God created them. Which means every time you look around you, every time you look around you, when you look up, when you look down, you're looking at the things that God made. And those things are saying something amazing. In reality, they're saying the most glorious thing that that is made is made because God decided to let it exist. They're saying that he is real. They're saying that we were made. And since we were made and there wasn't anything before we were made in this story, then if he made us, then he is our maker. I want you to say, God is my maker. God is my maker. The maker is God, and God is bigger than what he's made. Later on, you'll find in Jeremiah, I said, does the clay say to the potter? Does the clay tell the potter what to do? So we can bring it back here. Where did Jeremiah learn that? He probably learned it from this first verse. Does the made... Tell the maker what to do? I don't think so. If God made you, then your life has purpose. 
If you've never read, and most of our people around here has, but if you've never read The Purpose Driven Life, we have some of those books. And it would be worth, I think, they were originally like $20, I think. Uh, we got a deal in there. We got some, I think, for about 10 bucks. If you've never read The Purpose Driven Life, I would tell you to ask someone there to get you one and uh, read it. It's very important because God made us. He's the maker. He made us. And therefore, you exist for a reason. God is doing something. He made you to be a part of something he's doing. And I think we all know that deep down inside that we are here uh, for a reason. We're here for a purpose. All of us know that somewhere deep down inside, every human being knows that they were made for something more. We all know that. We exist for something bigger in our, in our lives. Because God made us, God created the heavens and the earth. He created you and me. But the problem is that there is a distance that we feel between us and Him. Something's not right in our world today. Something's not right in the relationship between God and the Creator. And us and the creatures. See, there's, there is enough about God in the world, in the heavens and the earth, that He created there's enough about him all around us to let us know that he made us for a purpose. But then everything falls apart. Why is everything falling apart? Why did it fall apart? What is the problem in the world today? What makes it fall apart is what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. It's the miss the mark of what God, the maker, originally created you to be and to become. That's a sin. You're not becoming what God made you to become. And it breaks everything. And this is where all of us are, everybody on this earth. We know we have a connection to God, but things have gone terribly wrong. And so we humans are trying to find a way back to God. We're trying to get back to God. And that desiring, that wanting, that trying to get back to God is what religion is called. Religion is an attempt to get back to God. Well, why is basically everybody on the face of the earth believe in some kind of religion? Whether we would call it a false religion. Because there's something deep down inside of us knows something's broken and we're not in alignment with our maker. Something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. And so we're trying to find a way back to being right. We're trying to get our way back where we feel right in our mind, and our conscience, in our souls, who we were meant to be. And that's pretty much the whole world and where we used to be. We were all trying to get back to God. We're going to see this in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we see the the, the outflowing of all this we're going to talk about through chapter 1 through 10. In chapter 11, you know, the flood is taking place. And here's some people, they still don't understand that they can't get back to God, their maker, that made them without God. They can't get back there. And so they, they, they try to build a tower to Babel. 
That's where God confused their language because they were building this tower. And there's not just one tower, there was many towers. They couldn't get the base big enough, and so they'd build, and then they'd build the next level, and the next level, and they were like, well, we can't get up into heaven like that. And religions have come and gone over and over again because religion cannot get you back to God. Only God can get you back to God. There's no religion that's foolproof. There's no religion that can totally get you back to God. Only God can get you back to God. And that's pretty much what, where we're at. And we'll cover that. That's where we're at. We are all trying to work our way back to God until God himself came to us. We can't take any credit for our salvation. God knew before he created us that we would go astray. And he already planned a way to bring us back to himself. Your whole being, your whole purpose, your whole reason, your entire salvation hinges upon God. See, we're trying to climb the ladder back to God who created the heavens and the earth until God himself came to us by becoming like one of us he created. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God becoming man. Why? He wants man to get back to God. And man does not have a clue on how to get back to God without God's help. So the creator didn't just become like those he created. He died for those that he created. The maker of all things gave his life for what he made. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That when we, with all our plans, with our, our towers of Babylon, our different religions, when we couldn't get back to God, God came to us, which what he planned to do to start with. We just ain't read his story, the story of rescue. Since before the beginning, God already intended to rescue us. That's good news. It's the hope of the world. Genesis 1 and 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. God is bigger than me and God is bigger than you. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful thought to me. God is bigger. So that's kind of my introduction to the book of Genesis. So I want to look at three things today. First, I want to look at the fact that God is bigger. The second thing I want to talk about, God's bigger than me or you. And then I want to talk about number two, God is bigger than your problems. And number three, God is bigger than your dreams or my dreams. It's like this uh, right here. You know, they call these things uh, Russian dolls. This was made in Russia. And my son bought it there and he thought it was neat. They even have the UT balls in Russia. Because they were the national championship in 19... Uh, what was that, 88? 98. Yeah, 98. You're right. And so the thing is about this, you look at it and you think, well, this is the big ideal. I love when kids come over. I said, you want to play with this? And they go, no, I don't look like nothing to play with in me. But they get it out and they'll take it and I'll twist it a little bit and they'll go, there's another one in there. So there's more. This is the big ideal. But inside the big ideal, there's another ideal. And inside this, there is another ideal. And inside that, there's another. And inside that, and usually by the time they get there, they're trying to take the little one apart. A little bitty. 
And whether you want to look, you start off and this may be all you know about God, but one day you'll get the big idea. And, and God wants us to get the big idea that he's a big deal. He gives us Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Why? He wants us to get the big idea, the big picture. He wants us to understand it's not about us, it's about him. That's what uh, the, the book, The uh, Purpose Driven Life is. It starts off, it's not about you. And it's not about you. It's about God. It's all about God. So these five books begin to tell us the story about the rescue. You go, well, you know, I don't know if I was God, I would have picked Abraham because he was proved to be a liar. Well, we don't get to choose who God chooses because he's the maker and we're not. God has always used people that we would never use, including me. And within this book of Genesis, there's a story about Israel. And we're going to find about it in chapter 12. God goes to a man named Abraham and makes him an amazing promise that he's going to be the father of many nations. He becomes Abraham, and from him comes the people of Israel. We find that out in that chapter 12. What about chapters 1 through 11? Well, that's the section we're going to cover here for a while. God's, it deals with God's relationship with Israel. And then eventually we see where we're included in that rescue, that relationship. It's often called the pre-primeval uh, period the, of history. And, uh, but we're going to look at this. In chapters 1 and 2, especially in Genesis 1-1, it was meant to let Israel know who their God is. So how does the Bible start off? And why is it so important? Because it starts off and it wants us to know who God is. God is our maker. God is our creator. See, when I tell you there's something deep inside of us that knows there's something bigger than us out there, is you find that from the very beginning people searched out something to call God. I went to Jerusalem, and you hear me tell about this every once in a while, but in Jerusalem, you're kind of in a valley, and there's a mountain up here and a mountain up there, especially in the northern end, and those mountains, well, it was not uncommon for these uh, people to pick a god or name a god, and they would build their, their temple or their place of worship up on the top of the mountain. You know, when, when Jesus come to this woman, she said, well, who are we supposed to worship? We're supposed to worship on this mountain or on that mountain? And God said, I'll tell you, there's coming a time when it's not going to matter what mountain you're going to worship the spirit and the truth, which is Jesus Christ. And so it's not about who's got the mountain God. And it's very typical among these religions back then, especially is to whoever had the highest uh, God on the mountain. They're like, my God tops your God. Look how high he is. And so we find that in this story, they all have their own God. They had their own deity. And any time there began to be conflict between nations, it became a conflict between their God and the other God. You may not realize, but what's going on today in the world in conflict, it's about two gods. It's about two gods. That's what the real world conflict is all about. It became a conflict between their different gods. Two nations come into conflict and become, it becomes about which God is better. And so the question is, who is better? Is it the so-and-so God 
of the river? Is it so-and-so God of the sun? So God thinks it's important knowing. See, you've got to know. He knows the story before we know the story. He knows how it's going to end. So if he's telling you this is in the beginning, he knows this is the most important thing. So in the beginning, beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavy earth means totality. Everything you can see and everything that is was built by our maker, created by our maker. It means everything. God created everything. And he did it out of nothing. He did it out of nothing, which means he didn't, you know, it's like a puzzle. He didn't just arrange a bunch of puzzle pieces. He created the puzzle pieces. Not only did he uh, create the puzzle pieces, he come up with the idea of a puzzle because he's God. And see, in Genesis 1-1, it's saying that the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, he created the heavens and the earth, everything, so that when some other nation comes and says, well, I tell you what, where's my God? My God is the God of the river. My God is the God of the river. God's people, because they knew Genesis, could say, so your God is the God of the river. Well, let me tell you something. My God created that river. My God's bigger than your God. Or somebody could go, well, I tell you what, my God is the sun God. And then God's people could say, my God spoke your God in existence in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. My God's bigger than your God. Like kids on a playground. My dad's bigger and meaner than your dad. One kid says, you know, it'd be like my kid saying, well, my dad, he can bench press 300 pounds. That's what my kid says, 300 pounds. How do you like that, Tony? <laughs> my dad can bench press that. Uh, and and you goes, all right, you're saying that to me. And so you'd be neat if our kids would go, well, I'll tell you what, my dad made your dad. My dad made your dad. God wanted to sell it, sell it once for So you can you imagine now why the enemy so wants to mess up the front of this book? You've got to accept the Bible by faith. You believe it or you don't believe it. But if you don't believe it, it's got repercussions that will take you from a better place and turn you into a bitter place. Because this is important to believe right here. It's important to believe that God created everything and that God's in control and he's never been out of control. He don't even know what un being out of control is. Because he knows everything. He knows everything before everything happens. I don't know what you think about the lectures, but if you wanted me to, uh, if you wanted to, there's a guy by the name of Kim Clement and he's known as a prophet. He told Several, three or four years before Trump got in office, he prophesied in an open meeting of thousands of people that Trump would become president. He tells also, back about two years after that, that Trump would be, he would be, things would be brought up and he'd be impeached. So you go, well, I don't, I don't agree with nothing about him. It doesn't matter whether you agree or not. God knows everything before it happens. 
God is never biting his fingernails. God is never worried. And so you go, well, that's a good thing. Well, we don't know if it's a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Seems like a good thing to me right now. Could turn out to be a bad thing. But I don't care if it's a good thing or a bad thing. God let it happen. Because God is bigger than what we think. God is bigger than who we are. God is bigger. And uh, so we need to understand that. We need to listen to him. We need to pay attention to him. That's the impact of Genesis 1 and 1. Then if we understand that and we get that and we believe that and we trust in that, then it takes us, you know, we understand that God is bigger than you. He's bigger than me. It brings us to our second point that God is bigger than your problems. God's bigger than all my problems. He's bigger than all your problems. Is it a very powerful point? We see it over and over again. Now, I want you to see how important this verse is. Did you know that this verse is one of the most repeated verses throughout the Bible? That God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Why? Why is that such an important reference point? God wants you to know that he's always the maker. He's always the creator. He always thought every thought you thought before you thought of it. Because he's God. We see over, over in Psalms 121... Psalms 121 begins like this, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills, David says, from where does my help come? He says, he's asking the question, where does my help come? Now, the psalmist had already been told, he had already told us in Psalms 120, 120, just before this, that he was in distress. David's in distress. Sometimes, how many was in distress a few times in 2019? A lot of times for me. So he's in distress. And when you're in distress, you have a tendency to doubt. And so David's like, you know, they got all these gods up here. That, there's that sun god. And over there's the river god. And over here's the god that's challenging Elijah. And over here's another god and another god. And he said, well, where do I look for for my help? I'm in a stressful time in my life and I need help. And he says, do I look to the hills? Do I look to the hills? Is that where I get my strength? To, to these gods? Have you ever asked that question? I think we find ourselves there many times. The psalmist has been there, and he says in Psalm 21, 21, and notice what he's doing. At first, he's looking to the hills. We do that sometimes. We look to the doctor's report. We look to the, 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 the financial report. We look to the who might be president. We looked, and we're looking to that report, and that becomes our God. And whether we're going to make it this year or not. And so he looks to the hills, which was a common thing to do there. And see, pick, pick out which God. If, if you're in a drought, you might want to pick out the God of the rain. If it's, it's raining all the time, you want to pick out the God of the sun. And that's how fickle some people's God is. It's whatever they want it to be at a given time. But in some, he answers his own question. When he asks, shall I look to the hills? Is that where my strength comes from? Then he says in verse 2, he answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord. What, what is this God? He's talking about my, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. See the reference point? If you don't believe that first verse, how are you going to gain strength throughout 2020? 
If you don't believe that God's the creator. If you don't believe that he laid out a rescue before you were ever born. If you don't believe that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. You're not going to have anything to believe on. My help doesn't come from the hills. My my God. My God. He made the hills. It's like reminding themselves, my God. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. But I got news for you. It's not only that my God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns the cattle. He owns the hills. He owns it all. That's why we should automatically, nothing should come out of our mouth but Jesus is Lord. Because Lord means owner. And he owns it all. There's not anything that he doesn't own. He made it all. And so we find that God created the heavens and the earth. And you can look to him. And I can look to him in a time of need and a time of help. The next thing that we want to look at, God's bigger than your dreams. Now, I don't mean to go there in some philosophical uh, type way or in some kind of motivational speaker way. Yeah, God's bigger than all your dreams. No, what I mean by this statement is I mean that God is big enough if the time needs to be and we need correcting, God is big enough to change our dreams. Because a lot of times we pray amiss. We pray the wrong thing. We're wanting, we're dreaming the wrong dreams. And it's, it's something that a lot of times, even when we're honest, our dreams are more determined by broken values of the world, the fallen world, than the maker of the world. Our hope for the future tends to include possessing more of God's gifts than experiencing more of God's glory. I don't know about you, but I want more glory. If I lose everything, I'm serving the God that made everything. He could just make me some more. If this earth burns up, which one day it will, and everything in it, my God's just going to make another world for us. A new heaven and a new earth. And He's capable of doing that because He's already done it before. My God is a big God. He's a great God. And we should put our confidence in the God that made the cre- created the heavens and the earth. Our, and I, I love this because in Romans 4, Paul is talking in Romans 4. And where is he referencing? He's referencing Genesis 1 and 1. God made, God promised, Paul is talking about the promise that he made to Abraham. And really the promise of salvation by faith. He's talking about both. Paul says that God promised. This is a dream of you know, Abraham to have a kid one day. God promised Abraham. Depending on God's grace. God promised salvation by faith. God says, to, uh, God says that God promised to Abraham depending upon God's grace. It was, it was more than God. It was more about God than it was about Abraham. When God told Abraham that you're going to have a going to be the father of a great nation. That statement was more about God and his grace and his ability than it was about Abraham. Can you say amen? How do we know that? Because God's promise, God's dream for Abraham was somewhat problematic. Because 
if you read in Romans 4, and I won't go there, I had it picked up here, but Romans 4, Paul, Paul said, Abraham was an old man. Everything was dead, you know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Morales or any of these other things couldn't have helped him much. And it said Sarah was already, she was already past having kids. You're talking about a hundred-year-old man. But God promised Abraham more offspring than the sand stars of the, of the sky. God promised him a nation. Ultimately, the son through whom the entire world would be blessed. But Sarah and Abraham's wife were barren. The rescue. When God tells you the rescue plan, don't doubt the plan because he's bigger than you are in the plan. He's greater than you are in the plan. Paul tells us Abraham believed God. He believed God. He believed God. You know why he believed God? He didn't have nothing else to believe. He couldn't believe in his ability. He couldn't believe in Sarah's ability. He only had one choice, believe in God. Romans 4, 17, And Abraham believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That's how the world began. God took nothing and made something out of it. That's Genesis 1 and 1. God created the heavens and the earth and nothing of nothing. He made it of nothing. Therefore, Paul says Abraham knew that even though he could not see it, God could do it. I don't know one thing about in 2020. I'd like for the team to come on up. One of the things about 2020, I want to start believing in stuff I can't see, I can't feel, I can't comprehend. Because then I know I'm on good ground. I'm going to tell you something. If you give up on religion, you're in the right place. Because I gave up on religion a long time ago. We're here to tell you that we're a grace-filled church. And there's no religion going to get you to heaven. Religion's like a Tower of Babel. It's worthless. But if you gather with people, called out ones of God, His family, and you share with one another, and you build up one another, and you encourage each other that your entire salvation comes from God Almighty, you're in good hands. Paul says Abraham knew that even though he could not see it, God could do it. God is bigger than our dreams. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of, of, of dreaming my dreams. My dreams are sometimes not very healthy. I want to dream God's dreams. One thing, I, I was reading this message, I kind of felt guilty. Well, their staff, sometimes they'll bring up something to do around here, and I'll go, oh, we tried that before. Sometimes Sherry will say it. <laughs> you know why? Because she's been around here a long time, too. I want to quit saying that. Just because I didn't see it happen, and maybe just because Sherry didn't see it happen, it don't mean this younger generation is not going to see it happen. Abraham and Sarah could have said, hey, hey, God, take it from me. I don't want to, you know, it may be too much information, but me and Sarah's tried, we tried quite a few times to have a baby. I just want to tell you, we've been there, done that many times. We had no baby. We had no baby. We've already been there and done that. We already tried that before. God is telling me, and I really feel he's telling me in my spirit, go back 
to some of those areas where you lost your dream, you lost your faith, where you didn't see it happening, you didn't see any way it could happen, you didn't see by what it'd have to be a miracle. Well, God's a miracle guy. Go back to those things you thought could never happen and believe in it, believe in it anyway. Even though we may not be able to see it, even if we can't fathom it, God can do it. We can do it. It said that in, in Abraham, he said, and because Abraham believed that it could happen, even though it was past his years and past Sarah's years, even though he believed it would happen, that was his religion. But he didn't bring it, God brought it. God, Abraham didn't pick God and say, hey God, this is Abraham, I want to be the father of a great nation. No, Abraham was a liar. He lied about saying, that's not my wife, that ain't my wife. God says, you're my man. God is so big, he can take a man, a lying man, a filthy mouth man, a wayward man, or a wayward woman, or a woman past her years, or a youth like David, and he can do whatever he well pleases because he's God. And he's bigger than me or you. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than my thoughts. He's bigger than my faith. He's bigger than my ways. He's bigger. And that's what we're going to learn in the book of Genesis. The reference point, though, to everything goes back to here. You'll see this quoted over and over and over and over again in the Bible. So why in the 60s did they try to throw all that out? God didn't create everything. He wanted to destroy our reference points of the truth that God is bigger than anything this nation will ever face. God is bigger than anything you'll ever face. God is bigger than every one of your problems. God is bigger than every one of your broken dreams. God's bigger than everything. And he'll do it in his good time. So God, when are you going to do that? When I get well ready to do it. When's the end coming? When God gets ready for it to be. If I don't about you, I'd throw away some of our broken down, depraved, fallen by nature dreams. And I dare to dream again. Big dreams, bigger than we can accomplish, bigger than we're capable of, bigger than we can imagine, bigger than we can dream. I'd grab for one of those dreams and pull it down by faith and hold on and see the salvation of God work in our behalf. You look at all the attempts throughout the entire Bible of where man tried to reach up to God and manipulate his salvation. It never worked. But when God reached down, he could save all of humanity. D. Lloyd Brown used to sing this old song, When the Savior reached down for me. When he reached way, way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or his son. But the Savior reached down for me. You can't take credit for any of your salvation today. It's all God. It's all God. So in 2020, dream big dreams because you've got a big God. But dream His dreams. Can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today. 
God, I don't want to be the one that's got a lack of faith. Just because I tried some things, they didn't work. That don't mean that this next generation is not going to accomplish it. It may not have been the right time, the right space, the right moment of this church. But God, you're bigger than my failed dreams. You're bigger than my hopes. You're bigger than my fears. You're bigger than my mountains. You're bigger than the false gods of this world. You're bigger than health issues. You're bigger than anything, God. And I'm so glad that I serve the God that created the heavens and the earth. And I want to surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.